Amen. Well, at this time, we'll go ahead and dismiss our children to Kids Church. I hope everyone is beginning to dry out. Uh, there was a time on Friday, Saturday, I kept looking out the window expecting to see animals lining up because I was certain that that the floods waters the flood waters were going to continue to rise and and we were going to begin loading onto the ark. Uh, but by the grace of God, it stopped raining and we're beginning to dry out. Uh, I pray that uh, that all are well. Uh, I know that there are some that aren't here this morning because they needed a boat to get here. Uh, so we continue to pray for those, especially those uh, church members uh, who were affected by the rising flood waters. And uh, remember, uh, just because the rain has stopped, that doesn't mean the flooding is going to stop. We know that the rivers are going to continue to rise, which is going to uh, pose many problems for uh, for many of our friends and neighbors and co-workers in our community. So uh, be in prayer and, and looking for opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, as the church of God, we are called to love those uh, who are hurting, to love those who are in difficult spots. So this may be an opportunity for us as a church uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to our community. So that being said, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, we continue to walk through the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 15, uh, the good news is, is that we're over halfway. So for those of you who are keeping track, uh, it'll, we've been in Matthew now for about a year and a half, two years. So uh, within three years, we ought to be done. Uh, so Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15, we're going to be reading verses 21 through 28 this morning. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21. Let's read. <clears throat> and Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman came out from that region and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy upon me, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. And he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came to him and kept asking, saying, Send her away, for she is shouting out after us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began bowing down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Let's pray. God, we know that, that we are dogs. Isaiah says that we are worms. Lord, may we this morning have the faith of this Canaanite woman. Cry out to Jesus for mercy. God, may you do a work in our hearts this morning that we may see ourselves in your word. Lord, may you take these passages of scripture and apply it directly to our hearts. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen. 
Well, as we begin this passage, as we begin this passage, this comes on the heels, and, and the context of this passage is very important, because it comes on the heels of Jesus communicating with the Pharisees. Do you remember when uh, last week we, we talked about there was this whole confrontation that Jesus had with the Pharisees, and Jesus, Jesus is confronted with the Pharisees, and they begin attacking Jesus, and they begin attacking the, the failure of Jesus' disciples to follow the law. Remember they said, Jesus, your, your disciples don't wash their hands like they're supposed to, and, and, and they're transgressing the tradition, and they're not doing what they're supposed to. And then Jesus confronts them with their own failure to keep the law, about how they have invented all of these rules and all of these laws, and that by itself, that in and of itself, is a transgression of the very heart and the very spirit of the law of God. And so this comes on the heels of Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees, and enters this conversation this confrontation with this canaanite woman now i want to point out that as we begin that jesus has tried to be alone three times within the last few passages look at matthew chapter 14 verse 13 before jesus feeds the thousands before jesus feeds five thousand look at verse 13 so whenever jesus heard this he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself and when the multitudes heard of this they followed him on foot so there's the first time that Jesus tries to get away. He tries to leave the multitudes. He tries to leave his disciples to go to a solitary place, to go to a place of solitude. And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, after he has fed the thousands, after they followed him and he still couldn't get away, verse 23 tells us, after, he, after this he sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was, and when it was evening he was there alone. This is... After he feeds the five thousands, before he walks to the disciples on the water. And then we see in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, Jesus again tries to go away by himself. Verse 21, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And so Jesus is constantly trying to get away so that he can spend time with his heavenly father. And I, I mention this only to remind us and let us know that there is value in solitude. Many of us, if you're like me, you don't want to be alone. Being alone is a, is a, is a fearful place. Because when you're alone, there's no one there to distract you from your thoughts. There's no one there to distract you from the reality of, of who you are. And you are left there with nothing but your thoughts. But Jesus reminds us that, that solitude is a good thing. Because when we are alone, that's whenever God can speak to our hearts. Uh, uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 46, verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. It is good for us to have moments of solitude in our life. Well, that was just an aside as we enter into this passage I want to introduce us to the main character of this passage. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 22 tells us who the main character is. And behold, a Canaanite woman came out from the region and began to cry out, have mercy upon me. Now, I want us to understand who this Canaanite woman was and, and how, how this, this character would have been viewed by the audience of the book of Matthew. Remember the book of Matthew was written by whom? Matthew, and it was written to, to the Jewish people to present Jesus as the son of 
David. So we understand that the audience of the book of Matthew is the Jewish people. And so the Jewish people would have heard something very distinct when Matthew writes a young Canaanite woman or a Canaanite woman. And so this is what they would have heard. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Most Jewish, most Jewish men would have had the entire Pentateuch memorized. Matthew, I'm sorry, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. The Pharisees would have had not only the Pentateuch memorized, but they would have also had the whole Torah. They would have had uh, many of the Old Testament passages, the Psalms and the Proverbs uh, memorized. And so they would have understood the land of Canaan and the people and the inhabitants of the land of Canaan are those that are mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God shall bring you into the land where you are entering to possess it, and shall clear away many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you, verse 2. And when the Lord your God shall deliver them before you, And you shall defeat them. You shall utterly destroy them. And you shall make no covenant with them. And show no favor to them. Verse 16. Skip down to verse 16. And you shall consume all the people whom the Lord your God will deliver you. Your eyes shall not pity them. Neither shall you serve their gods. For that would be a snare unto you. As God sends Israel into the land of Canaan he tells them very specifically destroy all of the people that are inhabiting the land of Canaan drive them out destroy them wipe them off the face of the earth the Canaanite people were by definition the enemies of God they came at God and they came at the peoples of God with opposition they came at them in battle they came at them to destroy them. They came at them in in defiance and in rebellion, and they said, we will not serve your your God. We will serve our gods. And and there was opposition, and there was defiance, and there was the, the Canaanite people, by very definition, are the enemies of God. And so hear what the audience would have heard when Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is approached by a Canaanite woman. Jesus is approached by his enemy. Jesus is approached by his arch nemesis. This is Superman and Lex Luthor. This is Spider-Man and the Green Goblin. This is, this is the, the, the arch nemesis. This is, this is the North versus the South. This is the Hatfields versus the McCoys. This is, this is the epitome of... Of, of enemies going against one another. Jesus is approached by a Canaanite woman. And his initial response was exactly what the Israel audience, what the Jewish audience would have expected. Notice Jesus' initial response. He didn't answer her. He ignores her. Verse 24. He finally gets tired of listening to her and he says this. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Where's this coming from? Jesus commissioned his disciples a few chapters ago to go 
and to preach the gospel. Remember who is Jesus writing to, or who is Matthew writing to in this passage? To Israel. He's writing to the Jewish people. And so when Jesus sends out his disciples in Matthew 10, who does he send them out to? I'm so glad you asked. Let's go look. Matthew chapter 10, verse 6. Jesus sends out his disciples. And who does he send them to? Verse 6. Actually, let's back up to verse 5. Jesus sent out the twelve after instructing them, saying, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter any city of the Samaritans. But, verse 6, but rather go to the lost sheep of Israel. Go where? To the lost sheep of Israel. Go to the Canaanites? Go to the Gentiles? Go to the Greeks? No. Jesus sends his disciples out to the lost sheep of Israel. And that's exactly what Matthew's audience would have expected. That the grace of God would be extended, not to the Gentiles, not to the Canaanites, not to the enemies of God, but to Israel, to the Jews. And so when Jesus is approached in Matthew chapter 15 by this Canaanite woman, by this woman who was an enemy of God, the disciples heard Jesus say, the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God has not been, dis- has not been demonstrated to the to the Gentiles, it has not been demonstrated to the Canaanites, to the enemies of God, but only to the children of God. The disciples would have said, that's right, now get out of here, we have no part with you. You're an enemy of God. It's exactly what the audience would have heard, it's exactly what the audience would have expected, it's exactly what Jesus' disciples would have heard and would would have expected, and that is what many of us, that is what many of us expect when we come to God. We expect God to look down upon us and say, you're a sinner, you're a liar, you're a thief. You are, by definition, my enemy. From the very beginning, you have have sought to rebel against me. Every good and perfect gift that I have given you, you you have taken it and you have twisted it and you have perverted it and you have turned it into something for your own pleasure and your own and your own exploitation. It's interesting that this passage comes immediately on the heels of Jesus' antagonism and condemnation of the Pharisees' religious pride. If we remember Jesus' commentary to the Pharisees, was he impressed with their law-keeping? Was Jesus impressed that the Pharisees were able to keep every letter of the law and even not only the law that is written in the Pentateuch and the law that is written in the Old Testament, but they even added to the law and they were able to keep those additions to the law? Was Jesus impressed with their piety? No, No, not at all. In fact, Jesus said that that their their piety and their their law-keeping was going to be their demise. When will we realize, church, when will we realize that we cannot dazzle God with our accomplishments? When will we realize that our accomplishments and our religiosity does not impress God? When will we realize that God is not impressed with how much we drop in the offering plate? When will we realize that God is not impressed with how often we enter the church house? When will we realize 
that God is not impressed that I read my Bible every morning and I say my prayers every night? When will we realize that God is not impressed with our religion? That God is not impressed with our law-keeping? That God is not impressed with our piety? That our accomplishments do not garner the favor of God. If we think that somehow we can impress God with our piety, if we think that somehow we can impress God by being good enough, we are nothing but modern day Pharisees. Here, Canaanite woman, understanding clearly that she cannot impress God with her piety she has been a worshiper of foreign gods her entire life she has been an idolater she has been someone who by definition is an enemy of God Jesus speaks of this woman and says great is your faith what does Jesus say of the Pharisees You're of your father, the devil. He calls them broods of vipers, snakes. But they kept the law. They were the perfect churchmen. They were the perfect deacon. They were the perfect pastor. They kept the law. They did everything that they were supposed to do. They helped the widow. They they gave to the poor. They they served the church. They taught Sunday school. They taught vacation Bible school. Every time the door of the church were open, they were there. And Jesus said, you are snakes because your heart is far, far from me. You are whitewashed tombs. And Jesus says of this Canaanite woman, Jesus says of this idolater, this woman who has sacrificed to foreign gods, who has built altars and temples to all of these foreign gods, he looks at this woman and says, great is your faith. Hear the contrast that the audience would have heard, that these people, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, whom the Jewish audience would have put on a pedestal and and aspired to be just like them, Jesus said, no, they are far from me. But this Canaanite woman, this this woman who was an enemy of God, this woman who was broken, this woman who was despised and rejected by men, this woman who was to be of most men pitied, and a woman at that, Jesus says, great is your faith. Do you see the contrast in this passage? Jesus said she is great in her faith. The Canaanites were enemies of God. Pedigree was not a requirement for grace. Here was this woman, a Canaanite woman. She had no pedigree. She was not a Jew. She was not a law follower. She deserved the grace of God. She did not deserve the grace of God at all. But it's interesting. Great need leads to desperate pleas. Jesus commented about her great faith. What was so great about this woman's faith? Jesus called her a dog. He said, he said, I'm not going to give what is meant for the children of God to a dog 
referencing this Canaanite woman, enemy of God. I want to point out what was great about her faith. First of all, she recognized who Jesus was. Let's look at the text. The very first thing she says to Jesus in verse 22. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, son of David. She recognized who Jesus was. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a good man. She recognized the very identity of Jesus. You are the son of David. You are the Messiah, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, the one who is coming to to save the people. You are God's promised Messiah. Here, that this, this enemy of God, this Canaanite woman, recognized the identity of Jesus. I want to point out that this is only possible through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. A Canaanite woman, an enemy of God, would have in no way been able to recognize the identity of Jesus apart from the revelation of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit works in her life. Interesting that the Holy Spirit works in the life of an enemy of God. Aren't you glad that God works in us long before we ever come to Him? And aren't you glad that it doesn't take following the law and following the rules that God has laid out for the Holy Spirit to work in your life? Here, this woman was an enemy of God, and the Holy Spirit began to work in her heart and in her life and reveal to her truth, and he speaks to her heart, and he says, Jesus, this man who is traveling the countryside, who is traveling around Capernaum and Galilee and Caesarea Philippi, this man, Jesus, is the Messiah. She recognized who he was, and she recognized his position look at the text verse 25 she came to him after he said i was only sent to the lost sheep of israel get away from me verse 26 i'm sorry verse 25 she came to him and began to bow down before him saying lord help me not only did she recognize that jesus was the messiah but she recognized his position as lord lord of the living and the dead, Lord of heaven and of earth, Lord of all, Master, Creator. She called Him Lord. She recognized His position. And she recognized His ability. She said, help me. She said, help me. She recognized, look at, look at verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs are able to feast on the crumbs. She says, I recognize that if you are able, you can give me what I need. She recognized his position. She recognized his ability. And she recognized her undeservedness. She said, have mercy upon me. Help me. I am in desperate need of who you are. She came to him as a beggar. Great need leads to desperate plea. God desires us to come to him just like this Canaanite woman in desperation. Several years ago, 
my son was playing baseball in our yard. And we, if you've ever been to my house, uh, you've, we've got this, this giant uh, field behind our house. It's, uh, we back up to a power line, and so uh, we, we try and keep it mowed. It becomes the children's kickball field, their football field, their baseball field. It, it's, it's fantastic. And they decide that they're going to play baseball. And so they're, they're over there, and uh, my son with his, a couple of his cousins and some of their friends, and they're, they're playing baseball. Well, it's, it's a great place for that, but there's no backstop. And so when they miss a ball, it, it, it comes to the driveway and into the, uh, into the garage. And, you know, when they hit foul balls, it goes back towards the house. Well, uh, they're pitching, and, and, and they're hitting, and they're playing baseball, and everything's great. Uh, and then all of a sudden, there's a foul ball that's hit. And it decides to land on the windshield of the car. And immediately, my son begins thinking, my dad is going to kill me. This is, this is a bad day. This is a bad day. And, and he, he, he starts you know, racking his brain, what do I do? Well, there's only one thing I can do. I mean... He's going to get in this vehicle to drive, and he's going to see this shattered windshield. And if there was a way for me to hide it, I probably would. But, but there, there's nothing else for me to do. And so he comes in, and he says, Dad, uh, something bad happened. And I know no one's hurt because there's no wailing, there's no screaming, there's no blood. We're not going to the emergency room. So I said, okay, what, what happened? He said, well, we, we broke a window in the car. And so I'm like, okay, let's go see. So I walk out, and it's not the window, but it's the windshield. <laughs> and it's not, it's not just, you know, cracked. It's, it's shattered. And, and it is not drivable, and it is, okay, you know, three dollars $400 later, uh, we have to replace the windshield. And he just knew because I, I don't know why he would assume this. He just knew I was going to lose my mind. Uh, I, I don't know why he would assume that, that, that I would go ballistic, not that I've never done anything like that ever before, but he just assumes that, that dad's going to go nuts. He assumed he'd be grounded. He assumed uh, he would be spanked. He assumed that uh, uh, his friends would be spanked, his cousins would be spanked, that, that, that it would be a bad day. But you know what? Whenever little boys play baseball, windows get broken. Whenever little boys play baseball, things happen. They weren't doing anything they weren't supposed to be doing. They were outside playing ball. Foul ball hit the windshield and busted we took it to the windshield repair place and we got it repaired. He didn't get grounded. He didn't get fussed at. No one got a spanking. There was no beatings that day. <laughs> it's interesting that he feared the father's judgment. And yet when he came to the Father, he found grace. Not that in any way, shape, or form I'm equating 
my actions to that of the Heavenly Father. But it's a beautiful illustration of the grace of God. That we find ourselves most oftentimes like that Canaanite woman. An enemy of God deserving wrath. You know, the scripture tells us that we suffer under the curse of God. In fact, Galatians chapter 3 tells us how we suffer under the curse of God. If you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 3 speaks of the curse that we suffer under. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10, Paul says this, For as many as are under the works of the law, we are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things that are written in the book of the law. I don't know about you and I, or I don't know about you, but I know that I certainly have not been obedient to everything that's written in the book of the law. I know that you can't even get through the first thing written, and and I'm already guilty. We suffer under a curse. And we have three responses. Understanding that we are guilty. Understanding that we are broken. Understanding that, that, that we, in and of ourselves, are are riddled with guilt and shame. We have three responses. The first response is we can ignore the curse. We can pretend like it doesn't exist. We can say, oh, that, that whole curse thing, that, that whole suffering under the curse of God, destined to an eternity in a Christless hell, that's, that's, that's just nonsense. We can ignore the curse. Or we can work to remove the curse, and this is where many of us find ourselves. We work to remove the curse. We, we strive to be good enough. We strive to give enough. We strive to, to keep the law. We strive to, to be holy. We strive to, to come to church, to bring, read our Bible, to pray, to, to do something, to remove the curse from us so that we can lay our heads at night and we can sleep and say, well, at least I did more good things today than I did bad things. And maybe at the end of my life, if I can do more good things than I can bad things, then maybe God will have mercy upon me. But let me shine a light on that theory. doesn't matter how many good things you've done, there's nothing that will outweigh the guilt that we stand under. Because we stand condemned. John chapter 3, 18 says, says, For we are condemned already. That we stand condemned before God. We are under a curse. And we can't ignore it. And we can't overcome it by our works. The only thing that we can do is what the Canaanite woman did. She embraced the curse. And she ran to the only place where she knows she could find mercy. To Jesus. We must embrace the curse and we must run to the cross church we are this Canaanite woman we are by definition an enemy of God we are liars we are thieves we are haters of God but the good news of the gospel 
is that while we were yet sinners, Romans chapter 5, 8, that God demonstrated His great love towards us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, while we were guilty, while we were caught in our shame and our guilt and our, our emptiness, Jesus died. The Scripture tells us that He became the curse for us. That God made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the very righteousness of God. That Jesus was our substitute. And because Jesus was guilty on our behalf, because He took the curse upon Himself, we can stand in His righteousness. We can stand in the grace and the mercy that is in Christ. And so here, I want to invite you, church. There are many of you who are here who've been trying to work to remove the curse. You've convinced yourself that if I can be good enough, if I can convince everyone out there that I'm good enough, I may be even able to convince God that I'm good enough. Hear the message of the gospel. The Pharisees were not good enough. God desired to show grace to the Canaanite woman. Great is your faith. Not because you've done anything, but because you recognize who Jesus is. You recognize his position because you recognize that only he can give you grace. Only he can heal you. You recognize your need and you become a beggar before him. At that point, Jesus poured out grace. God is calling you this morning to come to him as a beggar. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would reveal our desperate need for you. Desperate needs lead to desperate pleas. Lord, we are in great need because we are guilty, because we are this Canaanite woman. We lie, we cheat. We steal. We worship the gift over the giver. We have idols in our lives. We idolize our family. We idolize our money. We are by definition your enemies. And you are in no way obligated to show us grace. But because of your very character, because of your very nature, you say, come to me. You are that loving Father who though we are guilty, though we have transgressed your law, you say, come to me. And I will show you grace. There's someone here this morning who feels that they're not good enough for God. You say, preacher, you have no idea what I've done. my response to you is while you were yet sinner, Christ died for you. The scripture tells us that where sin abounds, their grace abounds that much more. Isaiah says, though your sin be as scarlet, Jesus will make it as white as snow. 
Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There are those here this morning who've been trying to be good enough and you can't. If that's you, I want to invite you to come. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And if you're tired of trying to be good enough, come to Jesus and become a beggar at the foot of the cross. Maybe God is calling you to become a part of what He's doing right here at Redeemer. God is calling you to serve His body right here. During this time of invitation, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.